Welcome to The Machine, everybody. I am your host, Mario Parrish, with my co-host, Lee Wilson. Journey with us into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, I have here with me, as usual, Jeffro, and we got a special guest here, Antoine. Uh, go ahead and say hi. Hello, everybody. Hello, Antoine. And what we're talking about here is um, current events, what's going on. Uh, riots, uh, racism, rinse and repeat is what we're going to call uh, this episode. And we'll get into why the episode is called that. But uh, going into what's happening right now, we've seen certain things happening. And, uh, from the start of it, let's, uh, l- let's start with the George Floyd incident, which uh, I-, I think is really what uh, you know sparked this event because this is... This is no secret to what we've seen before. We've seen this type of thing happen over and over again. And, you know, that's where the rinse and repeat part comes in. Um, so George Floyd, um, you know, he's handcuffed. He's put down on the ground with a knee on his neck. Uh, four different officers there. Uh, one officer was knee on his neck. The guy is screaming, I can't breathe. And he doesn't let him up. Now, I haven't heard from anybody who doesn't agree with the fact that that situation absolutely was not handled the way that it should have been. The guy's already handcuffed. At what point do you have to put your your knee on his neck? I mean, I mean, sure, there are claims that the guy was on methamphetamines or, or whatnot, but regardless, you've got three other officers there. He's already detained. He already is cuffed. At that point, let him sit on a sidewalk, right? I mean, can either one of you guys want to comment on that? or? Well, before they had him handcuffed, they actually had him in the police car. So oh. what they actually seen, what you actually seen him with their knee on their necks, with their knee on his neck, it was actually another guy on his back and another guy holding his legs. Now, what everybody else had seen was from one point where they had him against the wall and then the knee on the neck incident. Mm-hmm. Well, they had showed the full footage of everything that was going on. And they actually showed a shoot from across the street from another business. And when they had showed the shoot from the other business, they had showed that they had him in the car. And a guy was in the car talking to him for about half hour, 45 minutes. Brought him back outside the car. And this is where we see the, the, uh, the engagement where the officer had his knee on his neck. Okay, so, and to your point there, when the information was first released, you you saw one angle, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a lot of what got uh, a lot of uh, people in uproar. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that, and I'm not saying it wasn't, but I'm wondering, do you think that was a direct act of racism? It's it's hard to say because I, you know, uh, following this story and following everything that's been going on with uh, that's that's been going on with this. We actually started finding out that these guys, they they had 
some type of a relationship. They had dealings with each other. So we know that um, they used to work with each other for a period of time. So it wasn't that he didn't know this man. While they were working together, we don't know what actually took place with them at their respective place of business. So we don't know. Um, we can only um, imagine or draw our own conclusions of how they interacted when they was at their jobs. But when you see this type of thing that's going on right here, and it's been happening more frequently, um, you have the Ahmaud Arbery um, situation where the three guys, they actually tracked the guy down mm -hmm. and they said that he was on private property. Now, I've actually uh, kept up with that story also. I looked at the footage and on the footage, they had about, I want to say about 12 different families that went in to that construction site and they went in and they touched stuff and they left back out. Kids went in touching stuff and they left back out. Now, I don't know about about anybody else, but I'm that type of guy, you know. I have a very curious mind. I like to see how things are made, how things are built. And when they had open construction sites like that and they didn't have, you know, signs like that, if they were building a house, I would actually like to go in and take a look and see how it would, it looked before the whole finish was done. Now, when it comes all together, you can actually see from what you started out with to what it is now. So when he went in, I didn't really think any, you know, thing would actually come of that. But, you know, they said uh, that there was break-ins um, well, in the they, neighborhood. When you talk about something like that, though, I mean, you think about the law. And you said 12 other families or other people were going in. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, this is private property. You probably mm -hmm. shouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I get that. But to your point, I wasn't... I, I didn't realize there were so many people that went in and out. You know, was at, at that point, you almost have to look at it, and I'm sure people do now, that they waited for this guy because they needed an excuse, you know, to follow him down and, 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 you know, corner him or, you know, something like that. Um, but my question, I, and I, I agree with you, but my question is uh, going back to the, uh, the George Floyd thing. I wonder, and and I did hear that they they knew each other before they worked at a different place together before. So we don't mm -hmm. know if there was a personal vendetta between the two. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it wasn't a racial thing. Maybe it was. But my question, above all, when I see something like this happen and people are so quick to jump on the first thing the media shows them, which is usually a percentage of the truth. Because they're all about just getting the story out there right away. They don't care what the full story is. Mm -hmm. If it's a story that's going to bring in viewers, they're going to get it out. Mm -hmm. um, so, but my question is, when I seen this, it wasn't the first, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, but the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, that's police brutality. It's unfortunate that it's happened. I also look at it from a different perspective, you know, from an officer's point of view. A lot of the times when these officers, they pull people over, you know, regardless of the race at the end of the day they want to go home to their families and i wonder you know if that fear doesn't set inside of them not giving them the excuse to you know behave the way that they do but my thing is my point to that is 
this is what you get paid to do. Sure. You know that you're taking on a dangerous job. You know at the end of the day that there's a possibility that you won't make it back home. But this is the job that you took on. This is something that you knew that I want to do. Nobody encouraged you to do this. Nobody talked you into doing this. This wasn't wrote in your, you know, if you want to say stars. But this is something that you chose to take your own path. Now, with that being said, if this is something that I've chosen to do on my own, okay, what gives me the right to be able to take another person's life or police brutality because I had a bad day? Right. But to your point there, regardless if you have a bad day, okay, let's, let's put you in a hypothetical situation. You're an officer, right? Mm-hmm. You pull somebody over. <clears throat> Immediately, you have no idea if this person is going to comply, respect, you know, your job and what you're doing, or if they're going to resist or reach for a weapon. At the same time, Antoine, you want to go home to see your family, right? Yes. So I think anybody really, whether they're an officer or not, they have that right to protect themselves. However... Police brutality, and you're not going to get an argument out of me on this, that it is an issue. And it was something that we talked about uh, as far as, you know, the lack of education that goes along with these police and what it takes, um, you know, compared to other jobs. I mean, if you don't mind me saying it, you're a barber, you're a professional barber. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the hours. Could you enlighten our, our listeners as far as the hours are compared uh, of what it means to be a barber uh, versus a police officer in this country? Okay. Um, as being a barber, um, it requires me to have 1,800 hours completed before I can go take my state board test. Now, in doing all of this, um, I was telling you guys earlier that uh, we almost have to take just about the same course that a nurse would have to take. This is why if a nurse, if uh, a barber does decide that he wants to get into nursing, he won't have as many hours per se as somebody just new just coming into the field because he already has a feel of what's going on. Because uh, being a barber, I have to know bloodborne pathogens. Um I have to be able to, to um, sterilize. Um, I have to make sure that my, my clients are comfortable. When they're in my hands, they, they know that, okay, I know that this person has done his due diligence. And I know that he has um, my uh, best interest at heart. Right. Um, they don't want to come in and see, see uh, a workstation that's sloppy um, you, you have materials laying on your, uh, on your side from a previous client that right there, that's not encouragement. That's not letting me know that you're, you're cleaning and that you're sanitizing your areas correctly. Right. So and, like nobody's going to go to a back alley to get a tattoo. No, <laughs> no. And this is the thing is, is, uh, when somebody comes and they're sitting in my chair, they're paying for my knowledge first and foremost. They're they're saying to themselves uh, to themselves that I understand that this person has went to school, he's taken the proper precautions, and I can lay my hair down because I know that I'm in good hands. Right. Uh, with an officer, most people don't even know 
how many off how many actually man hours that an officer has to complete to become an officer and so, when i actually learned that it shocked me um like i said i had to take 1800 hours to complete barber school mm-hmm. an officer only has to take 737 hours to become an officer now if you're listening let that sink in 1800 hours to become a barber to cut hair and not saying that there isn't a lot of uh, <clears throat> hygiene involved but we're comparing 1800 hours to what was he 750 hours 737 737 to become an officer uphold the law protect and serve while you're wielding a deadly weapon that I feel that is a big, the bigger issue here. I mean, I not to say that police brutality is an issue, but I almost wonder how much of that is ill intent compared to how much of that is uninformed, as far as you know the hours of training, uh, what you you know what you're supposed to do as far as an officer, what uh, what kind of restraint should be used, and we're seeing this a lot and. Jeffro, I ask you because uh, we were talking about you know the the racism part within all this, and I said I made the comment. I said, well, it's unrealistic to think that racism can be cured, and the reason why I said that is because it's a thought to me. It, it's it's thought. It's taught. We can I think we can agree on that. Well, I actually think. Um, first off, this issue is a complex issue. And I think what gets lost is the fact that in any con and in any conversation that's this emotionally driven, there's nuance. Okay. Mm -hmm. And humans through human nature always want to parse everything as black or white, up or down, left or right, Democrat or Republican. Right. It's almost and, like they find a sense of comfort in absolute. Right. And and whenever you introduce nuance, it's uncomfortable. Right. right. So like we were talking earlier, Antoine, uh, before this podcast, too many times people just want a yes or no answer. And you're either all with me or all against me. And whenever you introduce that into an emotional conversation, it's just the idea of racism, I think, is more nuanced than just something that's taught. It's also something that's conditioned into the public and the public doesn't even know it. Absolutely, I can agree with that. Um, even words like white privilege can be looked at as a racist comment. I believe it would be more accurate if we would use words like experience. Because the people who are like, accused of white privilege yeah. it's almost gives a connotation that people... By saying it's a privilege, we have participated in being given that privilege. And we haven't. It wasn't a choice. A better word would be experience. Right. That, so, so, like, we were talking as far as, you know, like you said, white privilege. Um, it's, again, it, it's something that's, when you hear it, it's demeaning to say, well, you had that choice you chose to be white privilege. It's not really that. And I agree with you. I think it would be 
a better understanding if we were to say white experience opposed to you know and, and to that point also i would also make the argument that you know let, let's let's talk about where a lot of this exists let's talk about the inner city right which is predominantly black inner city can we agree on that yeah absolutely okay that's not saying that there aren't some white people in the inner city or indian or you know latin americans in the inner city so i mean that's that to me it's more of a between the two you have people who are exposed to that type of environment and you have people who aren't and the people who aren't just don't fully understand because they're not in that environment well you don't know what you don't know right um again i've i've eliminated our listeners earlier that i'm a professional driver and in that career there's times where you do team driving where you have two guys driving at the same time and there's been several times where for just short periods of time trying to cover other drivers for a vacation and whatnot I would drive with black drivers. And when you drive, you drive 12 hours, you're off 12 hours. Well, no one can sleep for 12 hours. So there's like a three, four-hour period in between each shift that I would sit up and I would talk with my co-driver. And the experiences and conversations I had with them were so illuminating. And here here I am, you know, for a two-week course, getting examples and, and references to their experience and the whole time I'm sitting back thinking I I have no I had no idea it was like that I have no there was I was so dumbfounded by some of the things that I heard that I just realized in those moments that no matter how much I want to contribute to some of these conversations my point is moot it, it doesn't matter and in doing so it opens your eyes to the idea of privilege it's it's really not privilege it's my experience i i have no idea what's going on with the people in those communities you know with some minorities because i haven't had to experience that so to say hey to have any real concrete sort of stance in the subject matter sometimes is difficult for us and what that leads to is fear and confusion in in the white population when trying to realize what the people of you know color and, and minorities are going through so what it sometimes leads to is uh white guilt and that leads people to just fall in line without really asking their black brothers or black sisters what's really going on right and antoine i you look like you got something to say he's sitting over here he's yeah, patiently yeah. waiting i can tell he's looking at me and he's He's waiting. He's like, ah, I'm going to get this mic and I'm going to talk. Please go ahead. Well, the first issue I would say is the reason why there's such an issue is because a lot of people don't understand. Um, slavery is not that old. It's less than 100 years old. Right. So you still have people that's alive today that actually still you know, it's instilled these things in these uh, these ideals inside their kids. So that generation hasn't even died, you know, completely died off yet. So you still have some of these people that that lived on plantations and that may have owned slaves that are still alive, kicking and very well. 
So, well, I mean, to talk about, you know, just outside of slavery, because it wasn't, you know, when, when people moved away, you know, from these plantations, they weren't owned anymore. It's not like, you know, they crossed the train tracks and they had a house waiting for them and they were ready to go about their lives. That's oh, not definitely. how it happened. So when that happened, you know, racism was very much still alive, uh, you know, during that time. And then you talk in the fifties with, uh, you know, Martin Luther King for the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and even that was even a shorter period of time ago. But I think one of the things that gets lost and, and, we, we we can go back to the mistreatment and like I said, the inner cities where a lot of uh, a lot of people went after that, looking for work, you know, trying to make their way in a life from a different life, but making that uh, making that change. Okay, so they go to the inner, the inner cities where at that time we also find where drugs was you know injected into the to the society by our own government oh yes yeah, it's, it's actually a movie that's out there that show that government actually drop drugs in the middle mm-hmm. of uh i believe in compton they actually drop drugs in the middle of compton and a lot of people don't understand that a lot of a lot of things that were funded that was governmentally funded they were funded by drug money and still yes and when they actually got finished with the dealers, then they locked them up. But they let them deal their drugs and fund the things that they needed funded. And then, you know, then they labeled them as, you, you know, menaces to to society. Yeah. Um, a lot of things that a, a lot of people don't know um, is like, like I said, when I was just touching on just, just uh, a minute ago about, uh, about slavery and everything um and it's not that old a lot of people think that when the when the slaves were free with the emancipation proclamation they thought that automatically you know the minds of people just this thing just died in the mind of people right automatically this fixed everything right like you we're know? gonna open a door you're yeah free and everybody everybody's gonna be okay with it which clearly we didn't see maybe because we had a civil war there was the North versus the South and, you know, and I think there's a lot of confusion in with that as well. But at that point, you know, and I, I think a lot of people could get confused with that. It wasn't, Hey, you're free, go live. Everybody's going to be okay with that. No, because mm-hmm. a lot of people weren't okay with that. Well, do your point, Mario, the idea of a, a lot of what a lot of Southerners talked about was they try to change the narrative after the war was lost. At the beginning, it was about slavery, and they were trying to fight for their rights to, to keep ownership of slavery. So after mm-hmm. the war was lost, they started talking about how it was actually about state rights and the central government you know, infringing their laws on you know, individual states. So once they lost, they tried to change the narrative. But even though the narrative, they were trying to change the narrative, like Antoine was saying, they didn't change their mindset. Right. So it was still pervasive throughout the entire South. Right. And a lot of things get lost between that. And, and what we were talking about earlier, you know, the Confederate flag in the meeting and what people think today is what the Confederate flag is actually isn't 
what the Confederate flag is. I mean, every if I were to say to my listeners right now, or to our listeners, I apologize, but uh, if I were to say to our listeners right now, what does the Confederate flag look like to you? Well, they're going to say the red flag with the uh, two bars and stripes, the X. Right. They call you know, it the battle jack. The battle jack. Okay. Right? So yeah. and that's something we were talking about, but... That's not actually what the real Confederate flag no. is. But that is what everybody is, you know, in a stirrup when they see that they immediately demonize it. They want to have it torn down. They want nobody to have it. And for some of these Southerners, excuse me, Southerners who do understand that this isn't actually the, the Confederate flag. I wonder if a lot of people, if you were to hold the actual Confederate flag up, I wonder if anybody would be able to look at it and say, oh, well, that's really the Confederate flag. And to your point, Mario, there's a reason why this is important, especially for me. It's part of that social conditioning. Yes. And this is a subject matter that we've talked about on previous podcasts. If we're not careful and we don't look at our own information and our own history, we're going to repeat it, which is part of this podcast with the rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about is it's the Battle Jack flag, and it was actually a naval insignia that the Confederate Navy used for their flag. Mm-hmm. Okay, the reason why and the Dukes of Hazard card and the Dukes of Hazard, which no, listen, is important because what ends up happening is there's a reason why they don't want people to associate their first original Confederate flag with the Confederacy, and it's mm-hmm. because... I'll show you the picture, Antoine, maybe you can post these pictures later. Oh, absolutely. I'll post um, them on the website. The importance is... Okay, so what ends up happening is one of the reasons why this Battle Jack is starting to be used in pop culture like the Dukes of Hazard, was because the original Confederate flag, which was used for the first four years, mm-hmm. too closely resembled the first American flag that Betsy Ross sewed. And very close. Very close. The only difference is instead of the 13 stripes, it has three stripes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then later on, it originally had 11 stars in a circle pattern, but ended up finally with 13 stars because they had shadow governments in Kentucky and, and Missouri, even though the, the ruling government was supposedly northern. Um, and the reason why I think this is important is because this sort of conditioning is still happening today. And the the importance with the Dukes of Hazard is they're like we do not want to associate the South and their ideologies of slavery over about the the flag that was closely resembled to our flag. So let's change the narrative. Let's go ahead and put something out in pop culture, out in television, and say, okay, this was actually the Confederate flag. I, I think it's important because that's the slow brainwashing that happens from the elite that we have no idea and that's why things like oppression of the poor oppression of the minorities oppression of of you know blacks that's why it happens and that's why it's so easy to happen and if we don't open our eyes to those oppressions then we're going to repeat them constantly because this issue with with the george floyd similar issue happened with riots and everything with rodney king you know, in the nineties, yeah, right. You know, similar thing with with killing leaders, going all the way back to, you know, Martin Luther King and the Kennedy brothers. I mean, we're if we, this argument isn't, it isn't an easy argument, and that's why nuance is needed. 
And until we get into the depths of that nuance and we start just completely going to the polar opposites and saying, you know, either you totally agree with me or you totally disagree with me and not looking at the, the middle parts of the conversation. Because what ends up happening is if you don't look at all parts of the conversation, you're going to alienate, alienate an entire portion of the population and nothing's ever going to get resolved. Right. And so what I've always said, and I, and I still stand firm on this, that the, the, most, uh, the most important weapon, the most dangerous weapon that anybody can wield is an intelligible mind. You know? uh, and you could take that one way or another, you know, however that mind is used to do whatever. So when we talk about the incident with George Floyd or Rodney King or anything, and here's something that I've said numerous times, every time I see something like this happen, um, you know, and then people get upset you start to protest and things like that happen, you know, now, um, you know, the black lives matter movement is going on. I always say this, I feel bad for, for the black community because I don't think more often than not when something like this happens and we talked about you know the elite when we talk about the elite it's the 1% of the 1% right. right so they used they use this narrative and they use it to push fear and they use it to push people to get what they want so that's what I'm seeing they're using it to get what they run or, or the, what they want. So right now we're in the middle of uh, uh, this is an election year, right? Mm-hmm. And I know Jeff was looking at me smiling, tilting his head like, oh, come on, man. But how often, let me ask you this, Antoine. Mm-hmm. We see police brutality all the time, right? Let's, can we agree that this is, a, this is an issue this within is this country? This is definitely an issue. Okay. Between, let's see, the last time we seen something like this happen was, what, Trayvon Martin? That we heard about it in the news this much? Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that between that time and now, we haven't had a case of police brutality? Or even more specifically, police brutality on someone of color? The thing is, is uh, with the internet, it makes... A big broad world smaller at the touch of a button I can t- talk to somebody in Africa in seconds so now where people thought that these type of incidences didn't happen often now you're able because now you're bombarded with it all the time because now everywhere in the, we're in the media age yeah but I mean even at that time during the Trayvon Martin time between then and now we still had the internet it was still there, but I'm sure this happened numerous times. Yes, in between but, that. But the but but the but the thing is, is this one was different. It was different because now, before a person can say, "Oh no, that doesn't happen," they had they they, they had that that shroud still over their eyes, so they had a sort of of plausible deniability. Okay. I, I can deny that this is actually going on because I haven't actually seen it for myself. But now when it's hit your retinas and now you can't dispute it. And this is the things that we've been dealing with and that we've been saying for 
numerous years, now you have no you 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 you, you can't deny it. So mm-hmm. now you have to deal with it. Now, now that denial was over with, and now that the she has been pulled back, and now you have to deal with this now. So now is the next issue is okay. Now we know that there is police brutality inside uh, inside urban communities. We understand that you know the percentage from uh, from uh, white patrons and black patrons are different from being pulled over. Um, I was just watching a video the other day where uh, a guy, black guy, was uh, being pulled over. He was being pulled over for a traffic violation, and while he was being pulled over for this traffic violation, he was looking in his rear view while the officer was pull- was coming up to his car. Uh, the officer had his hand on his gun and had it halfway out of his holster. And the guy said, are you got to be kidding me? He said, you have to be kidding me. He said, you pulled me over for a traffic infringement, which is worthy of a ticket at best. Right. But you decided that you wanted to come up to my car with your gun pulled. He said, what did you think was going to happen? He said, so this is the thing. He said, I have three kids at home and a wife because you want to be a butthole and you want to come with your pistol drawn for a traffic infringement. I might not have made it home to my wife and my kids. The only thing that you would have said was, I'm sorry. But at least you get to go home to your wife and kids. Mm-hmm. My wife and kids don't see me ever again because of the lack of training that you have and because you have this perception that's been put into your mind. Um, I remember the, the 90s. In the 90s, they had uh, what they what they call was uh, um, they had racial profiling. And Within that that racial profiling, it was they were saying that uh, pull every black man, you know, every black man that you see over nine times out of 10. They were saying they were saying that you were going to find something if you look hard enough. Which wasn't, you know, a lot of times was not true. And I can attest to that because I had an issue with if you didn't find if you didn't find something. Oh, they rough you up. Well, not only that, they planned something. There. Oh, yeah. I remember um, this was back in like, um, I want to say like 93, 94. So young kid, you know, um, was driving um, down um, a, a main street in Youngstown. It's called Hema Street. And, you know, um, if anybody know uh, that, that, t- that area over there, mm-hmm. um, there used to be a school over there that was called Princeton. Well, in the summertime, a lot of people used to hang around Princeton school. So I'm riding down the street in my car. I, I just had got it maybe two months before that. And I seen a couple of my buddies out there by the school. And I blow as I'm blowing. This officer just come rushes out of nowhere. I have no idea where this officer came from, but he comes out of nowhere. Pulls me over. He tells me to step out of my car and I ask him, uh, what for officer? Now, I was all, I always, uh, and I tell this to my kids to this very day. 
anytime that you get pulled over by officer, make sure that you have your license, your registration, all that stuff inside your visor. Um, I do that to this day. Yeah. Can we, can we make a point, you know, before you go on with your story, can we make a point that there are officers out there and I'm not saying there aren't bad officers. Oh, no, not all officers are. are bad. Right. But there are some. So at the very least, the, the, the last thing you want to do, if you're pulled over, if you're anybody, just comply. If they tell you to get down, comply. If they tell you, you know, hey, we're taking you in, and you don't think they have a reason to take you in, they're looking for you to resist arrest. Don't funny, resist funny story, arrest. man. Funny story. My brother, he's he paints. He paints for a living, and he travels from place to place. You know, um, his employer owns hotels and. And all sorts of other businesses. Mm -hmm. So they go paint business, uh, other business, and he get outside contracts from other businesses to go paint and clean up in their in in their establishments. He said, uh, while he was on the job, he said, you know, one of his uh, one of the guys that was working with him, you know, a white guy. He said, um, he's taking him home. He said, now this dude didn't drink a fifth of Thunderbird. He said, why he's taking him home? Yeah. That was my look exactly. <laughs> I wish I could have seen this look. But um, he said he, he drank a fifth of Thunderbird. Cop pulls him over. He said he started cussing the cop out and telling him, you know, giving him all these F-bombs and asking him, why did you pull me over? He said the guy telling him, he said uh, the cops telling him, calm down, calm down. You know, I just wanted to, uh, you know, to basically assess what's going on. And I pulled you over for this traffic infringement. And he said the guy is just just completely just going off on the cop. The cop ends up giving the guy a ticket and pulls off. My brother said he's in the passenger seat. He said, man, don't you ever do that again. He said, you might walk away from this. He said, but I won't. He said, and I don't even freaking drink. He said, I couldn't believe that this guy had the audacity, the, 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 the nuances to, to actually, you know, get up in this cop's face and say these things to him. Wow, he's drunk. And he's driving, too. And he's driving. Yes. So, yeah, he should have been brought in right away. The cop let him go. That's ridiculous, man. Now, back to the story that, that I was telling you someone. earlier. But then another time, me and Chip are driving. Now, I'm not driving. Chip is driving, and he's driving a little crazy. He's been drinking. Now, I don't like to let my friends drive drunk, but, you know... I was smoking a joint. I couldn't really say shit to the guy. (laughs) And we get at a red light. We stop at a red light. And a car pulls up next to us. And I'll never forget it. Chippy looks at me. He's all drunk. And she's like, Dave. I'm going to race him. (laughs) I knew it was a bad idea. But I was high. I tried to explain to him it was a bad idea, but all that came out was, well, nigga, sometimes you got race. I don't know. <laughs> Man, that light turned green and Chip took off. Zigzagging and shit so no one could pass. And I don't even know he was racing. <laughs> then the police seen us and pulled us over. Now you understand, I'm scared as shit. I mean, come on, the car smells like weed. I mean, speeding, this man is fucking drunk. I was scared. Chip was not scared at all. 
It was weird. He didn't even turn his radio down. Isn't that weird a little bit? I mean, if you get pulled over, wouldn't you turn your radio down? Nobody want to get their ass beat to a soundtrack and shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Chip had the music blasting. We're not gonna take it. What do you mean, Dave? Just relax. <gasps> Close your butt cheeks. Just relax. <laughs> Let me do the talking. You want to know what he said? This is almost exactly what he said. I, I couldn't believe it. He says, oh, oh. Sorry, officer. I, I didn't know I couldn't do that. I was fucking shocked. The cop said, well, now you know. Just get out of here. Just get the fuck out of here. She said, okay, I'll, I will, sir. Thank you. What? What's wrong with you, Dave? I didn't know I couldn't do that. He said, that was good, wasn't it? Because I did know I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Back to the story I was telling you earlier. Well, the cop pulls me out of my car. And he asked me, did I have any guns, drugs, or anything, any kind of paraphernalia inside the, in the car? And I told him, no. Mm -hmm. Well, he said, do you mind if I search your car? I said, yes, I do mind. Well, that didn't seem to matter to him anyway. He pulled me out of my car. You know, he got really aggressive with me. Now, mind you. So he's already broken the law. At yeah. This point. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Mind you. Now he's he's upset now. Right. Because I didn't give him permission to search my vehicle. You challenged him. Yeah. So he tells me, rips me out of my car. He tells me and lays me on my face in the middle of the yellow strip that separates, you know, the right and the left side of the road and, and tells me if I move, if I move, that I was going to jail. Why they searched my car? Didn't mm. find a thing. Because like I said, you know, didn't drink. I didn't smoke. Didn't do none of that stuff. But yet he felt he had the need to search my vehicle and this is and this is just one one of the occasions uh something like that happened to me you know i had another cop told me um um pull me over in boardman this is before i moved out there also um told me uh why was i out there now mind you i was coming from and i believe i texted this to you i mean you was talking to about this i said mind you i was coming from the mall mm -hmm. and he asked me what was i doing out there i said Okay, um, I was coming from the mall. Cop told me that we didn't belong out there. Now, this is a cop that's telling me this. He told me the only time that we come out the boardman is to, you know, is to, uh, to, to steal, to steal or to break into something. So that must have been my business for being out there was to either steal or to break into something. Hmm. Now, these are the things that's engrafted into us as young people at an early age. And your first run in with a cop is something like this. It's going to scar you mentally for the rest of your life. Sure. It's going to demonize the outlook that you have on the, you know, the police, you know, from there on out. Um, 
you know, but to your point, I'm not trying to compare apples to oranges here either. I used to work for a place um, way back. uh, It was a cleaning company. Jeffro remembers. He he worked there for a little bit. But uh, I was in charge of uh, stripping and waxing floors at that time. And uh, one of... One of my coworkers had decided to ask the uh, the manager or the uh, the guy in charge. So he asked if he could, you know, use the van to move some stuff over during the weekend. Well, he said, "Yeah, um, I, I wasn't something that I consented to." But he, he said, "Yeah." So it was between them. It was okay. And what had happened was, is he kept the van for two weeks, wow. never returned. Right. Wow. So this thing was reported to the police station, whatever. Two weeks later, this dude pops up on my doorstep. Hey, I brought the van back. Uh, Well, you were supposed to have it for the weekend, not two weeks. I said, you know, people are in an uproar about this. Let's get this back to the shop right now. I said, they're looking for this thing. So we go and I'm following them and everything. They pull us over because the cops seen, you know, both the vans they're both company vehicles mm-hmm. pull it over they have him outside they have me outside and instead of just telling me and this happened right uptown instead of just telling me hey you know come over here put me in cuffs or whatever didn't put me in cuffs but instead of putting me in cuffs and sitting me down on a curb or something like that to find out what was going on i had to lay down with my hands behind my back and uh, the feel of steel from a shotgun directly on my back and the same thing was said to me you know don't move don't well and it was mm-hmm. don't move don't effing move you know I, and again i'm in my early 20s in my early 20s getting ready to piss myself in the middle of a street right i've got <laughs> steel on my back i'm not saying i'm not saying you know that this doesn't happen you know, in the black community, a lot of the times, and it does, and it's horrible when they see that, hey, they fit the description, right? Um, but I think going back to what we were saying about the lack of education, therefore, was it really necessary for me to be placed in the middle of the street? Well, not quite the middle of the street, but in the street with my hands behind my back. That wasn't good enough. I had to have a shotgun pointed at my back, too. Like, you realize... You know, if that tri- if you happen to pull that trigger, my life is over. It's you know because you were looking for a company van, which by the way we were trying to return. You know this guy's already in trouble, and I'm okay with that because I didn't do anything wrong. But I want to go back and I want to kind of rewind here because we were talking about the George Floyd episode, okay incident. Mm-hmm. So what happened next? You know, protesters rallied, which is okay. What happened after that was just an atrocious shit show. And that's what I'm going to call it. An atrocious shit show. Because now you've got not peaceful protesters, but you have people from outside coming in, you know, and they're all about chaos, anarchy, riots. And we see this. And what happens is now these protesters, some of them are easily influential. People will come outside and, yeah, you know what? You should be angry. You should be pissed off. And let's burn it all to the ground. And then you have some people with peaceful protesters. And I do know some. um, They come and they say, well, this is not what we're about. 
Well, um, those groups that you're talking about, they're almost like militia groups. They're, um, it's called Antifa. Antifa. Yeah. Now Which we have, <laughs> and we, we covered this, that are also funded by political figures. Yes. And, well. I, and, and, and I know that. Um, we actually, downtown Youngstown, when they came down there, a lot of people knew that these guys weren't from around there. Because mm-hmm. if you're from down from town Youngstown, you know which places to, to hit if you want to make the uh, the biggest uh, noise. Right. They decided to hit Shofen. Nobody goes to Shofen. Nobody, you, you know, and it's and it's and it's in an area where you really can't see. So a lot of people knew that these people weren't from around here. They mm-hmm. weren't from here. But the news didn't even say that. The people that were downtown Youngstown that were actually from Youngstown, they stopped these guys. Right. I remember seeing that. There they stopped a, them. There was a door, uh, you know, door with the window. That the was chauffeur. It was chauffeur. It got broke. And, and a I police car. Seeing, okay. I didn't see the police car, but I did see the door. But I also saw people from Youngstown stopping and yelling at these people. And now when we talk about these people, you know, in Tifa, they're, they're paid. They're paid. They're black people. They're white people. They're any race. They don't care. You know, they're paid to cause chaos and anarchy and try to influence those, you know, and more so the younger generation who are out there protesting to do the same. Now, it does happen. Like, they, 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 it does happen. They get into these people's heads, these young people's heads, you know, and then the next thing you know, these small businesses that you're supposed to be protesting for, these people, I mean, we, we've seen things on you know the news or online um i remember seeing one in minneapolis and i felt so bad it was just it was this uh gentleman who worked his whole life he was uh around 39 years old and he's screaming and he's yelling at these protesters he says stop what are you doing this is my life why are you doing this you know this is why are you doing this to me i'm you know I, i'm i'm not with whatever is going on. I'm not with what's happening. He put his whole life into this thing only for it to be wiped clean, trashed and just burnt because a chaos and anarchist way in a way that a certain thing should be. And I had a discussion with somebody uh, who actually is a bar owner in Youngstown. And uh, we had a bit of a disagreement online, Um, but at the end, what he said to me was so so shocking that pe- people could be so okay with thinking this way. And he said to me, and I quote, The idea is to bring America to her knees. Burn it down and rebuild. And that's the mentality here. When you talk about you know these Antifa figures and, and these rioters. And one of the things that I have seen, because... Uh, they've infiltrated this movement. They've infiltrated these protesters and this movement, this Black Lives Matters movement. And I don't think anybody's going to disagree that Black Lives Matter. And I think there's an argument there because then you have other people saying, well, all lives matter. Well, that's... We're not saying that. I think that the idea is to bring the awareness that Black Lives Matter as well. And that's the issue. So when people start talking and they hear that thing... They feel alienated, and it's like, well, no, 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 wait a minute. All lives matter. And I kind of go back, and I think about that, and I think, well, 
you know, we see police brutality everywhere. However, we don't see it, not saying we don't see it at all, but we don't see it as much as, you know, these inner city areas do see it. You know, maybe we see it a lot more there. And again, you know, I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. It does. Okay. Um, my thing is, is, uh, with the black lives matter movement, a lot of people have the wrong idea. They think that, um, these people are saying that the only lives that matter are black people. This is not what this is saying. I seen a picture today. And it had no caption on it, but it spoke volumes. It had a hand that made a fist and each finger on that fist was a different color. Mm. So it was saying that basically everybody binding together. Don't matter what your nationality, your creed, doesn't that matter your, your religion? If we can bond together, we can make a fist. Well, that's what the uh, we talk about the elite and the control. That's what they don't want. That's what they're afraid of. That's why they keep divide. That's why we keep hearing these things that divide us. You know, before, I mean, Antoine, if I look at you, okay, I'm not dismissing, you know, your race or anything like that. But I look at Antoine and I see an American. I see a friend. I see a brother. Mm -hmm. I look at Jeffro. I see an American. I see a friend. I see a brother. And until we're able to look at that, instead of leaning any way, we've already lost that power to bring it to everyone's attention to say, hey, listen, certain aspects of this are being implemented and people are being used. Yes, we mean, you talked about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, it's when you're saying that Black Lives Matter, it's not excluding any group. Right. What it's actually saying is until our lives matter as just as much as somebody else's as any other group, then we're not counted in the whole. We're still like, you, you know, you have you have everybody on this side and then you just have that small percentage on that side. We're that small percentage on that side. We want to be counted amongst the numbers. Sure. So, I mean, when I look at, when, when I want somebody to look at me, I don't want them to look at me as just, you know, okay, it's a black kid. No, I'm you're, human. You're a person. I'm a person. And I want them to look at me just like that. Mm-hmm. But you have too many people, they can't see past you you know um your color they don't know anything about me when you look at me the only thing that you know is that that I'm black that's right. it and you're telling me out of all of that this is why you don't like me and the people don't understand this you could have missed out on one of the best friendships that you could ever have possibly had just because a person's skin color just because mine's maybe, I mean, like I said, we, 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 we all, we, you know what? If you get shot, you die, you bleed. Same color, red. If I get shot, I die, I bleed. So why does it matter that a person's skin color is 
such this 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 big thing and has brought so much division mm-hmm. amongst people i i mean i don't get it well especially at this point uh in life and where we're at now you know i've said it many times it's it's the narrative that's pushed divide and conquer that's how it goes um a recently you know recently i've been called a racist more than i you know i want to tell you because of all this because i think a lot of that gets lost in you know so if i don't agree with everybody who is you know got their one way of thinking and we were talking about this immediately they stopped the conversation by calling me a racist because i don't agree with everything they're talking about so this person i was talking to and he was one of the person or one of the people who said you know the idea is to bring america to her knees well i don't agree with that no. well no. then you should bring america racist. you should elevate america right. and and bring a, the community itself raise it up Right. So, but at this point, the mentality of this gentleman was to call me a racist because I didn't agree with that notion. And that's, you know, and again, my my wife was one of those people who were uh, speaking on something, and one of the things that she said, and, and we were talking about the uh, the June the Juneteenth thing and making it a national holiday. And my wife says, "Well, and then what?" And I'm kind of there too because it's like, okay, we can make this a national holiday. It's fine. I, and that, I'm okay with that. But what's going to happen next? I don't think that we're really attacking the real issue here. You know, as long as, you know, you get these political figures or other figures, you know, and we've seen Hollywood come out of the woodwork and say, yeah, you know what? We're going to raise so much money to bail these rioters out of jail and what did they raise like 3.5 million dollars or something like that to bail people out of jail for destroying small businesses and things like that and tearing down monuments and defacing property whatever you can raise 3.5 to bail a rioter out but you can't raise that money to put you know new computers in an inner city school you can't use that money for something else Something that it would really go toward helping the inner city community, the black community. I want to see something that's going to help the community directly. Well, what you were just saying about um, people pulling down statues and making Juneteenth a holiday. Mm. To me, honestly, to me, all this stuff is just a distraction. Yes. It's to take your mind off of what's actually really going on so now you don't have to actually deal with the with the pain of what's what's actually going on. Yes. It, it's it's like a band-aid. Not sort of a band-aid sort of uh say for instance, you know, you had a finger that was broken. Mm-hmm. And this this finger was just in a whole lot of freaking pain and you just sitting there all day, oh my finger, my finger. Now Somebody comes along and step on your toe. You forget all about your finger because now you got a new pain that didn't hit. So now, you know what I'm saying? The pain didn't been drawn from the finger to the toe. Right. Because this is now, this is more immediate now. And this is what's going on is they're drawing that distraction from what's actually going on right here 
and they want you to be distracted to uh, to what's going on over here now. So now I don't have to deal with, you know what I'm saying, the, the broke finger because now I'm too worried about my toe. Right. And this is what's going on. Right. And I I couldn't agree with you more. I, I absolutely could not agree with you more. Um, and one of the things I think is uh, dangerous, and we've seen this... Um, uh, this gentleman who comes forward who's, who claims to be speaking for the Black Lives Matter um, organization. Or, you know, it's, it's funny. It, his name is Hawk Newsom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he comes out and he says, listen, you know, I'm the head of Black Lives Matter. I'm the guy who's working with this, you know, this organization. And what's going to happen is, is we have these demands, meet these demands or we're just going to burn every city down to the ground. That's dangerous. Well, you know what? One thing I always say is because you have another person of color that might say some words, that don't mean that they speak for me. Agreed. You know? Yes. That's not, you, you know, and, and, and that right there, that's dangerous. That's right. a dangerous thing right there is when you see one person say something and now they're speaking for the whole No. I almost wonder if this gentleman wasn't implemented and purposely placed into that power to kind of demonize this movement because that's that's what we're seeing. And so he's come forward. He's saying we want defunded police. Well, you don't want defunded police. I mean, Minneapolis recently uh, agreed to abolish their police force. How is that going to work? That's going to be dangerous. Yeah, it's going to be dangerous. And like I told Jeffro here, I said, listen, I said, what's the first thing, you know, these political people in power, people with money in these inner cities, the mayor, you know, the governors or whatever, you know, whoever's around there, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to hire private protection because they have the money to do that. What about the people who live in these neighborhoods? They don't have the money to do that. They can't do that. See, See, the funny thing about that is when you have all around where everybody started defunding, and dismantling police now I'm with p- police reformation mm-hmm. you know yes to get them more hours you know so they can be more accountable and, ha- and and hold them more accountable because at the end of the day they still are men and women they still have the same issues that every last one of us they still put they they uh they pants on one leg at a time so they're not above you know what I'm saying um of doing something that's wrong they're not above reproach Right. So I think that they should be held accountable. And when you hold people more accountable, I seen a, um, a soldier say, <clears throat> he said uh, one thing he said as a soldier, he said, when we go into enemy territories, he said all day long, you're on the ed- you, you, you're on the edge of, of a nail. He said, because you're in a country where everybody wants to kill you every hour of the day. Mm-hmm. And he said, no matter who it is, he said, now you might have people, you might be in a neighborhood where the locals don't like you and they want to kill you. But guess what? If that soldier kills one of those locals, which now they are saying that that person was innocent and they might not have been innocent. Now that soldier is going to be is just committed to crime. And because that soldier just committed a crime, he's going to get put in jail and tried for killing somebody that might've been trying to kill him. Now over here, what you're saying is when a cop does a thing and he does something that's underhanded 
and he may kill somebody in the process, the first thing they do is cover it up. That's their first go-to is cover it up. Uh, I just read this, uh, this, this, this one thing where this, where this, um, police officer, he, uh, shot a guy and he actually said the guy was, um, he was belligerent and he said he was resisting arrest. Now they came out and they made this statement before the footage came out. When the footage came out, the footage showed that the guy was, he was, he was complying with everything that the officer told him to do. Mm -hmm. He wasn't belligerent, never raised his voice or anything, but yet, but yet and still it ended up in a shooting and a cop tried to get ahead of the, you know what I'm saying? They, they tried to get ahead of what the media was doing. And now when the footage came out, it's showing them in a whole different light. So now a lot of people are starting to say, how many times have somebody said that this cop or that cop did me wrong and when you go into court, nine times out of ten, they're going to take the cop's place right. if you don't have any footage showing anything different. Right. It's always their right. They're not above reproach and they're not above, you know, above lying or taking something and spinning the narrative around. They're right. not above that. Right. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, we were talking about with uh, police reform, that's, I think it's something we all want. You know, we can agree that these uh, officers out here, they're not properly trained. You know, they need more hours, they need more training. There are different situations that they need to know about and how to handle. Um, and that was one one of the things, and I'm not trying to jump on the Trump bandwagon here, but it was one of the things that he brought to the table was police reform. I'm not completely sure what was in there. I know the chokeholds, you know. That's the, what I said. You know, The chokeholds were to be taken out. Um and uh you know a few other things but i don't know if you know more training i believe more training was in there i think i heard something about that but i'm not 100 percent sure but the thing that i didn't understand was once this got to the senate it was shot down and it we've was, never seen it was shot it was shot down because of some of the things that were that were in it Okay, it so still, I don't know about these it, things. It still gave them leverage to do a lot of things that they were already doing. Okay. So this is why it was shot down. Okay. It was just basically to put a Band-Aid on something that gotcha. was going on. And, you know, they wanted more things added into it, you know, to make sure that these cops were more accountable. Um, what the bill that he presented, it wouldn't have made them accountable. Okay. So well, I they mean, still, if, they, you, if you were to say at the least, okay, to say, okay, this bill is good. Let's get some of these pa things passed in this bill. Let's pass this bill and get rid of the chokeholds and get rid of the, uh, you know, what I want to say. Because I think tasers was one of them as well. So if you could take some of those out of there, and to me, the first and foremost thing that should be in there, and I'm not sure if it was or not, was the uh, training. I think definitely, you know, training should be the first thing within that bill but, but if you to me but see this is the problem is is um i know what you're trying to say is you know you should be a little bit more accepting of some of the things that was but here's a here here's no no, the no thing. i'm just saying it's like a start like get it going and let's work on another one I, I i get that but the thing is 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 with that bill what it's saying is if you don't accept this you don't accept none of it so you know you have to accept everything that's in this bill 
just to get some of the small things that you do want. And you're telling me that I basically, really, I have to, uh, because I don't want to die by getting choked out. I don't want to um, die because this cop doesn't have enough hours or enough intelligence to, to, to tell himself this ain't right, that I have to accept something that, you know, down the line still could bite me in my butt later on. Because one thing that I understand is any bill that has been written up, any anything that has been has been passed, they always leave loopholes in it. Oh, yeah. And they leave loopholes in it oh, because yeah. if... I'm doomed to get judged by something. I want to know how I'm be. I'm gonna be able to get out of it. Right, and I think we see that you know in the right or the left. Anytime a bill is passed, there's always extra stuff they throw in there that they don't want you to see or pay attention to. So I mean, I get what you're saying. You know, at the same time, you know, if you do accept this bill, so there's something else in there that could be implemented that could be more damaging. And Jeffrey, you you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, you know, going back to your police reform, I think it's important to realize, along with any police reform, we we have to, with that reform, include psychological training. Yes. Because one of the things isn't brought to the discussion sometimes is the psychological trauma they face on a daily basis. Well, yeah, you're I mean, how many how many how many times do they go to a crime scene and, and just see? Oh. Blood all over the place. How many times I go to an accident scene? I'm a driver. I can't tell you how many accident scenes I've seen. You know where there's entire families wiped out by a truck, or or and, and those those are traumas that if they raise any questions about, they automatically destroy their career. So now you've got somebody who <laughs> has been conditioned, you know, through their childhood, they've been conditioned to to minimize the importance of maybe minorities lives and you add into that psychological traumas right you get all these different influences and then you have an outcome of, of violence that we saw it, it's 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 no wonder the the psychology i think is very important and if it's not addressed if it's just like you were saying if it's just a band-aid just saying okay well you can't do these actions okay you can't do this you can't do that. Well, sometimes I want to know what I can do. You know, right. can I go see a psychologist? Can I go get help? Can I can I get time off of work? Do I have to work the midnight shift every freaking week? You know, can can I get assistance for my my mental health that way it doesn't deteriorate and then all of a sudden my my subconscious mind starts doing the things that I've been conditioned. Because, see, your subconscious mind, you run 95% off of. Your creative mind, only you only live in that creative part 5% of your day. And if we can all agree, like the Jesuits say, show me a child at 7, I'll show you the man. And it's because they understand the idea, the ideology of being able to condition, whether it be a child or anybody else, if if you've been preached these ideas of oh we're all different right mm -hmm. you're being preached all these ideas of you know the the fear ideology of if it's a uh, black person you're pulling over you got to be holding your hand on the pistol pistol on the way up because you know they're more of a danger that's right. that's instilling fear sure. you have all those issues going on and you're exhausted you're you've just come from a crime scene. 
Uh, you just come from an accident scene, and now you're on autopilot. Once you go to that autopilot, you're not consciously thinking, and your psychological and your your presence of where you need to be in the moment, you just go back to bad habits. You just resort back to bad habits. And if, if the person and what it is that you were basically programmed and conditioned to believe um, subconsciously, now, I'm not saying any of this is conscious, but if you don't have that mental health and you can't on a consistent basis be able to recognize these different variances on a daily basis, which is why the 737 hours thing is crazy to me. I would think somebody who is in a, a position of, of servitude, which is what a police officer is supposed to be, is supposed to be a public servant. You're dealing with the public on a daily basis. How that little bit of training is, is thought to be okay. You, you should have some variances of psychology in your training. You should have, there should be so much more going on. And that's why I think, the thought of police reform instead of defunding the f- police force, like right. you guys both have said, right. that that's a recipe for disaster. It is. It really is. It's something that we, you know, I, I, I kind of want to go back to. And, you know, with this podcast being a conspiracy theories and the unexplained. But, you know, a conspiracy theory, and I've said this numerous times, conspiracy theory is just a conspiracy theory until it's not. And... One of the things, and we've talked about this, uh, Antoine and I, you know, he said, you know what, you know, the, another seven or ten years, we're going to see this pop up again. Well, that's because nobody's talking about the real issues. You know, like like you guys were saying, you know, it's it's like giving a, and I, please, um, to use an analogy, and I don't have a better one, I apologize, but when you have a screaming kid and you're in a store and, you know, give him a lollipop to shut him up for a while, and that's where I feel bad because nothing is being done. The real issue isn't being um, talked about, you know, and, and nothing's really coming out of this. So then we see, you know, these implemented people that are pushed into these areas where you have these peaceful protests and now you've got anarchy and chaos, right? So, and what do you, what do we see, especially at a time when we're in an election year, and you know, this is where my conspiracy head had and thoughts starts moving. But we're we're at a time where we're in election year. If you go back and you look at all the election years, there's usually some sort of new virus or pandemic that comes out or something happens. Oh there. yes, yes, always. And you know, now on top of this, you know, now we're being told to stay home. Well, you know, and then this happens. Um, so many people I've talked to, they said, well, you know, whenever Trump had his rally. You know, recently in Oklahoma, they said, well, you know, we shouldn't have been doing that with the coronavirus, the coronavirus, whatnot. And, you know, Biden's not doing it. I said, wait a minute. I said, no, Biden's doing it. I said, you're just, you know, not in the uh, traditional way, because we talked about the donations to Black Lives Matter. You can go to the website and it works through Act Blue, a, a portion called Act Blue. And what this what this really is is money laundering. So a lot of this money, it ends up it doesn't it doesn't go to the black community like it should. It ends up going into the pockets of the politicians. So they're running you know these ads or whatever. We'll take a percentage of what your organization brought in, and we'll use it to run an ad for your organization to bring awareness, which is usually like what eight percent, maybe. And the rest of that goes to 
running for office for some of these for, for some of these people. You know, it's what? extortion and it's horrible. We're getting dangerously close, and I think this is where we're where we're headed. Honestly, with them defunding the police and not reforming the police, I think uh, you have a lot of governments that are actually pushing for this. They're mm-hmm. pushing for it. Yes. And when you get to a place where now everything is chaotic, what's going to happen? The government, they're going to have to come in, take over, and now martial law is going to be implemented because they're going to have to come in and put back, you know, what was chaotic, and they're going to have to make everything back complacent again. Mm -hmm. We're getting so dangerously close to this. It's crazy, and I see it. Yeah. I see it. I, I see. I see it happening, and I actually see it playing out right in front of me. Yeah, I agree. Um, a lot of people don't see the big things that's going on. That's that's starting to take place. That where you had like a where's um what was that at um where they had took five six blocks and called it Chaz oh, Seattle Seattle yeah. and they saying within that five or six block radius. They haven't seen so much crime in their lives. Right. First day, somebody got killed over there. Mm-hmm. And they understanding that this is what's going to happen if you defund the whole police force and dismantle it. Yeah. This is what's going to happen. It's chaos. It's going to be a free throw. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to be like every man, woman, and child for themselves. So now you have these different places. I know um, they said... Uh, I stay in Borman where I don't stay too far from where Chick-fil-A is at behind okay. Chick-fil-A. You got, you know, uh, you got Finn, you got Finn Fern feathers. That place was sold out in every handgun, every bullet sh- in every, every shell casing for weeks on end. And they, and they're, they're, they're still sold out on handguns and everything. So, what do you think these handguns and all this stuff is going to? Police are not buying them up. They're going no. into the average man hands. Right. A person that hasn't been trained to properly use these 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 things, mm-hmm. and the first confrontation they get in, they get into with somebody. The first thing they're going to think is, "This is my protection. Pull my gun out, shoot a person." Right. It, and I, I think one of the things that pushes that though is like we're, what we're seeing right now is the fear because we're seeing these things happen. We're seeing them unfold to your point. And Antoine, I couldn't agree with you anymore, but we're seeing these things happen and nothing is being done. And it, you, you got to raise that question. That's where the fear comes in. And, you know, when people start talking, like I talked to that guy, oh, we're here to bring America to her knees. And then you see these areas where, you know, like Seattle, they blocked off like was four or six blocks. And then these crazy things start happening. There's a 19-year-old that recently died there because they refused to let, you know, authorities come in within that four or six blocks radius or, you know, an ambulance come in and give this person the help he needed. I guess he had a disagreement with somebody and he was Spice. killed. But see, and that that's my that's my whole point is is when I say when I say those things and even when I was what I was talking about with the Black Lives Matter uh movement. The thing is is all this stuff that's going on right now, it all could have been avoided. Do you know that 
blacks are the only race that every so often we have to get our rights to vote renewed. Yeah. We still have to get our rights to. So that means that when they're unhappy with us, they can snatch that right away from us. And that's supposed to be a God given right. But like I talked to you before is um, there was a slave that had been freed within that freedom. He ended up amassing some wealth. And when his counterpart seeing that he was amassing too much wealth, they came in, took the wealth, put him back in bondage. Well, his argument was, I was a free man. And he said, well, the Declaration of Independence says, well, when he went to court to try to sue back his rights so he can get back what he had lost. Their argument was that you have no argument. Right. They said when the Declaration of Independence was written. You weren't intended for what was written on this paper. At that time, you were a slave. You were counted uh, three-fifths of a man. And and if anybody actually know where that three-fifths of a man came, came from, this to me, this is what the, uh, what the um, Civil War was all about. It's because you had the North that didn't have a whole lot of slaves, and they were against the slavery thing, where you had the South that had a bunch of slaves. Now... They said, because we have a bunch of slaves and these people are somewhat intelligent, you know, three fifths of man, every five, you know, every, uh, every, I believe it was every five, every five, five men were counted as one person because they had so many slaves. They were able to do that and they were able to get a bigger chunk of the American vote. Because they had more people that was populated in their state. And because they had a bigger population, they could actually sway and they can actually take in to what they wanted to be passed as being law. So the North was like, no, 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 no. We got to do something about this. Because now what we're, you know, what we stand to do is we're getting swallowed up. And the things, the policies that we want passed. They're not being heard because now you have a you have the South that have a bigger population. And now that they have a bigger population, they have more to vote. They got more to the, uh, the majority to vote. So now we're being swallowed up and we're not being heard. This is what actually started, you know, the, 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 uh, the Civil War. Right. But then when people had actually seen what was going on, they said, you know what? We need to we need to step in. We need to stop this. So now they said, you know, we're going to uh, free all the slaves. And like I said, just because the, free, the, 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 the slaves were free, it didn't change the minds and the mentality of people. And the thing that's what's going on right now, it all started with the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Colin Kaepernick thing when he was kneeling. I heard a lot of people say that, you know, when you kneel, it's, un- it's unpatriotic. So... My thing was, I had, uh, I usually don't weigh in on, on a whole lot of things like this, especially on Facebook. I only like to uh, put inspirational things on my Facebook to uplift mm-hmm. people. I don't get into arguments. I don't get into debates. You know, I, I give, you know, I give facts. Well, let me, I, I kind of feel special because you debated. With yeah. Me, so I, I already <laughs> yeah. feel special. Go on. I'm not but to interrupt you. Go ahead. This is something that I actually had wrote on my Facebook. 
I said, I usually don't weigh in on things, though I have my own opinions. I said, but the things that's going on, you can't keep ignoring. And it said, we march. We're called a mob. We kneel. We're being unpatriotic and offensive. We protest. Then we're thugs. Everybody's giving their opinion, saying that these things are wrong, the wrong way of getting others to listen to your frustrations. Yet, I haven't seen one person give a right way to do it. Everybody wants to give their opinion, but they don't want to say the right way to do it. While you're trying to figure it out, we are still dying by the hands of those whom we also pay our taxes to are supposed to protect us. In the meantime, they say stay calm, yet they get, get off murdering us without cause. When it's brought up, they try to assassinate our character like, they, like that justifies the mean. And what I mean by that is anytime that you've seen a police officer murder a man of color, the first thing they want to do is go dig up dirt on what he used to do when he was in, in his younger days. I'm going to sit here and tell you that I was not necessarily the greatest person growing up. But the thing is, is you telling me that's not who I am now. If you are the same person that you were a decade ago, you're in a you're in a dying state because you haven't grown. You're not growing anything that's not growing. It's in a dying state. If I still think the same way that I, I don't even think the same way that I thought yesterday. Because something that I've came across, it changed my mind about something. So if you're still thinking, this, thinking the same way that you thought five, ten years ago, mm-hmm. something's wrong. Something's wrong with that picture. So you're telling me that, okay, yeah, I might have done some things that were unsavory in my younger days. So you're telling me now that I'm fault for something that I did when I was 15? I'm 45 years old now. That was 30 years ago three decades so now you're still going to fault me for something that i did when i was a child the bible even says he said you know he he, it's the bible says that when i was a child i thought as a child i played as a child but when i became a man i put away childish things when it was time for me to grow up i got into that role of being an adult i can't do those same things that i did when i was younger so how is you trying to bring up something that was back in my past? And that's what my past, your past is something to show you that, you know, that, that, that shows you that, okay, I went from point A to point B. Now, physically, I can't go back to the past. I can't visit it. I can't go by plane, train, or car. It's just that it's your past, your future or your, or your now is what you're living in right now. You can't, you can't sit here and fault me for something that I did as a child. I had a child's mentality. I thought as a child and I did things because I had a child's mind. Now that I'm an adult, fault me for things that I'm doing as into my adulthood. Don't try to go dig up things that I did when I was a child to try to okay that you killed me. And I agree with you there. I, you know, but that's, that's very well put. Um, and one of the things when we were talking about police form and, you know, getting the extra hours and educating these people who were, you know, supposedly policing the people the right way. Um, I think we as people and any area 
or any part of the earth, okay, as humans, we need to educate ourselves as well. That being said, whenever I hear a lot of people say, you know, when they're talking about racism and I say, hey, listen, you know, unfortunately, I don't think this is, as long as there's difference, there's going to be difference of opinion and it's never, there's no cure. I said, however, I said, the best we could do is educate ourselves, you know, in between, you know, understanding that we're people first, you know, every human life is just that their, their life. I would say, and, and I've said this more often than not, I said, you know, they, a lot of people come to me and say, well, there's huge amounts of racism and this happens and this happens. And, and I see all these wheels working and things happening. And I say, you know, I would say a bigger issue is not black versus white or white versus brown or, you know, whatever. I would say it's an us and them issue, us being the population of people and them being the elite the one percenters in holding everybody down while pinning everyone against each other through their narratives. And we see this and it comes up and that's when we have these incidences and these issues happen because when they're ready for it to resurface, they use the media and it resurfaces. And I'm not saying it's not an issue before because it is, but they play on it when they're ready to play on it. They're going to play on it and they're going to start pinning people against each other. And when people stop talking and having conversations and not letting their emotions get the best of them. Hey, there was a girl who my wife was talking to on Facebook and I didn't know her or anything. Ended up telling her that, you know, my wife was trying to talk to her about it and everything. And whenever she was talking about the Juneteenth and she goes, and then what's going to happen after that? And she goes, you're racist. And she started calling her all these racial slurs, saying she was going to come here, you know, and beat her ass or whatever, you know. And I said, this is the biggest problem right now. People can't talk without letting their emotions get the best of them. You know what? I believe that is is when you have, when you get cornered. Mm-hmm. And you really don't have nothing but fall back on because you haven't educated yourself enough. Agreed. That right there is your scapegoat. Right. You know. So and, and the hard part about it is because we had a family member who jumped into the conversation on the other girl's side and started down talking my wife. Antoine, it got to the point where they were making fun of her physical appearance uh, because they you know, she had a picture on her little profile on mm-hmm. Facebook, or whatever, which I. I've got my own opinions on social media or any type of media I don't like. Um, but at that point, to like you were saying, they've been backed in the corner where they didn't want to talk anymore. They didn't like what she had to say, and they couldn't rebuttal it whatsoever, so they started attacking her. thing is, is uh, like we was talking about that earlier, when you offend somebody, mm-hmm. immediately you lost a, you, you lost a mind. Right. Immediately, you know, they, they shut their ears off to hear you. They don't hear anything that you're saying anymore. And now they've been turned on into attack mode. Now this person attacked me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn around and I'm going I'm, to I'm, I'm attack them. Mm-hmm. And that's a spiral. That was, that's a spiral downhill. Funny thing is, is uh, somebody asked me, well, 
How could you get rid of race, racism? There's uh, the only way that you can actually get rid of racism is mass is, is mass amnesia that everybody actually forgets, and then you start all over. And but we know, is, but we know that's that's some sci-fi type stuff, and it's not going to happen. Right. So but if, if that were to happen, then you you put yourself in a position where somebody could have that idea. Hey, you know, we outnumber you. You should be working for us. Then we jump back in slavery and well, racism all over again. It's a possibility. Well, you know what? You have uh, I, I forgot the uh, the, the uh, lady's name. She did. Um, she did this study. It was on Oprah um, some years ago. Cool. Where she uh, actually did uh, a study where she separated two groups. She had one in one group. She had blue people with blue eyes. In another group, people that had brown eyes. Not necessarily changing the the uh, color of their skin. Because you do have, you know, you do have Caucasians that do have brown eyes. So, yeah, exactly. Well, well I'm half. My, my dad's Mexican, so I don't know if that counts. <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> what she did was everybody that was in the audience that had brown eyes, she made them feel like they were better than the ones that had the blue eyes and the ones that had the blue eyes were inferior. Well, She's playing on this right here. These people all turned against the blue-eyed people. And they said that they felt that we were better. And she set this up just to show people the idiocy that was in racism. Mm -hmm. That this is what's actually going on. Yeah. You're separating yourself and you're making yourself better. And you're saying that. I'm better because of my skin. My, my skin is different from yours. Right. So she indoctrinated the mind. Yes. And that's exactly what she said. This is how easy this, this was. I did mm -hmm. it in a matter of what? An hour? Less than an hour? Because an Oprah show is less than an hour. So I did this in less than in, in an hour. Here, you think you're going to get something that's been, you know, that's been, that's been seared in the back of minds for over 100 years. Right. There's no way possibly that you can actually change the minds of people. You know, a person's heart has to, they have to get a change of heart. And when their heart changes, then it changes their mind. Because now they can see outside of, um, I'm better than this person. Look, even when the Bible talks about agape love, agape love is, is called a brotherly love. You said a guppy. I'm thinking a guppy, and I'm thinking a fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's agape, agape you know, okay. agape love, and it moves past race, creed, religion. Basically, it's saying that you know, uh, you're my brother. I love you, and because I know that you're my brother, I don't want to do no ill, no ill will towards you. I don't want to uh, kill you because you're my brother. If I look at you as a brother, then I'm not going to do anything to harm you because I'm looking at you as a brother. Right. You know, and that's what that that whole thing in the Bible was love thy neighbor as thyself. Because mm -hmm. if I'm looking at my neighbor as being a brother, then yes, 
I'm not going to want to kill my family. I'm not going to want to, you know, I only want to see the best for my family. Right. You know, I want to lift them up. You know, if they're down somewhere where they need to be lifted, I want to lift them up. I want to lift them up and, and, and let them know that, you know, if nobody else loves you, I love you. And I think that's where a lot of what I was getting to, where the education of, you know, people in general comes into play because when we allow ourselves to be indoctrinated by these you know outside figures or the elite who have an agenda to push you know it, it, it a lot of that has to do with ill intent i mean we covered a past what three episodes on here where we talked about you know the board elite and the ill intents that they have and some of the evidence that we have out there with pedophilia and the pedophilia rings that we've seen being busted over the past what four or five months is just ridiculous um but I think it's starting, you know, more and more people starting to be aware of it. Um, but I'm going to lead Jeffro here into something. Yeah, I wanted and, to. And, well, I'm, 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 well, I'm going to lead you into this. You can, you can capitalize on what you want to say, too. But uh, Antoine here said, you know, to lead with, you know, the goodness of your heart. And I, it brought me to something that you were talking about. Uh, what was it, last week or something, when you were talking about... Uh, uh, help me out with here. Uh, the heart frequency? The heart frequency compared to the brain frequency. Okay. Is, and he, you know, Jeff Rose heavy into this stuff, which is great because he blows my mind every now and then. And he actually did hear. And it's not a surprise because he does. I know it sounded like a surprise, but hmm. uh, go ahead, Jeff Rose. Lead, lead us into some of the. No, uh, and, and go into some of the talking about some of the solutions quickly, which you're referencing. Um, what people don't realize is science recently has discovered just as many neurons in the heart as there are in the brain. And well, I think you said more. Didn't you? Yeah. More. Well, and they're still doing more studies. Yeah. There's, there's, they, yeah. I, I wanted to check that after I talked that with you. Uh, I had that conversation with you, and I, they, they're just right about the same. And in doing so, you, you tar- talk about the mind being conscious thought. And you can imagine the heart as being unconscious thought because that's where thoughts come from, the, the neurons of your brain. So it's almost as if they, they also talk about what you're talking about, frequency. Whenever they can image your, your body, right, they can get a sense of your, for lack of a better term, your aura, the, the, the energy your body's emanating. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're thinking on a, on a hard math problem where you're thinking on um, – they, when they scan your brain, when you're doing something mentally, the activity. right? They can see the activity. Well, one of the things that they surprised them was there's this sort of um, I don't know how they describe it. This field that emanates about three feet from your mind whenever they were able to record this. Okay. But when they start asking you about your loved ones, when they start asking you about things you're passionate about, right? Your your hobbies. Um, things that you want to do in the future they get the same effect from your chest but this heart frequency actually expands six feet wow. from your body wow so it's almost as if conscious thought isn't is played out in the brain and the emotional frequency is played out in your heart so if we can get away from thinking about racism and start focusing more on the love of your brother it will be more powerful than whatever it is your brainwashing has been programmed to be. Right. And it makes sense. It all makes sense. 
Oh, it is. It is. But I, and, and I go back to what I said again. You know, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the fa- you know, within our families and the things that we teach our children and, you know, how we educate ourselves to interpret certain things instead of just believing what we're seeing on TV or what we're hearing in the news, which has, you know, in my personal opinion, more often than not, ill intent. Because they're only about getting paid. They're only about that dollar. They don't care if what they're reporting is 100% true or not. You got a piece of it. It fits the narrative. And we're looking to bring your eyes here. You know, a perfect example is any, any story being um, exaggerated with uh, maybe 20% of the truth. You know, like we right. talked, and I use an analogy of, you know, man found with uh, 666 painted on the side of the car with an eight-year-old in his trunk. And then you come to realize, well, it was a man driving a car with an eight-year-old in his backseat. And it's like the media portrayed it to get you and immediately demonize this person, but they got your, they got the viewer. And as long as they got those viewers, they got those dollars. So like I always say, um, once you plant a seed, a word is nothing but a seed. And a seed, once you plant once you plant a seed, that that thing has went in down into a person's spirit and now they don't even know that they're pondering on these things. So now when they hear it again, Somebody came and watered that seed and now that seed is starting to germinate and now it's starting to grow and it's starting to take root in that mind. Mm -hmm. So this is why I'm always careful about what I tell my children, about about what I say to other people. I pick my words carefully. It's funny because uh, everybody always tell me that, you know, I listen and, and I do. I listen to what people say. I don't listen to what they say. If you understand what I'm saying, I listen to what they say and not what they say. Um, good example. Uh, I was at the barbershop um, yesterday and one of the guys that's uh, next to me, real good friend of me. Young lady. I want people to hear your story. Okay. Young lady comes in and she te- she, she said, uh, I need both my, uh, my kids uh, haircut. Mm-hmm. Now for me, I don't cut kids that's like two, three years old. I won't do it. I just won't do it. You know, for one thing is they move a lot. And the second thing is, like I tell people, you know what? Um, you're actually asking for trouble because now once you start messing with a child's hair and you start lining their hair up, you're, you know, when they get about 20, 30 years old, their hairline is going to be all the way freaking back there because now you're training it. Okay. And I said, and I, and I told her, I said, well, I won't cut them. I said, well, maybe, you know, because they brought them in. They were my clients. But uh, I said, well, maybe my buddy will do it. So he's like, well, I'll do it. He said, it's no biggie. He said, I'll do it. So she said, well, how much? She, and he said, 15. And she said, oh, 15 for both? And he was like, yeah. She walked out. Now, her mother was still in there. Now, I said, I looked at him, I said, did you just hear what you just said? And he was like, no, what you talking about? I said, I think she said she's believing that you told her 15 for both of the kids and not 15 apiece. He said, no, but I told her, I said, 
Yeah, I said, but you didn't listen to the response that she had said. I said, she said it twice to reinstill what she had heard. Mm -hmm. She said, you said 15. You didn't say 15 a piece. You just said 15. And she said, well, 15 for both. And you said, yeah. So I said, when she comes back, I said, don't get mad when she only come back with 15 bucks, man. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they started laughing. Her mom was like, well, I think she knew. I said, no. I said, I think she understood it as 15, you know, for, for, both. For, for both for both kids, right. not 15 apiece. And I said, and I know what you charge. So I said, I know you were saying 15 apiece. And he said, uh, I think you might need to call her. And when he had called, when her mother had called her to let her know, that's exactly what she was thinking. Mm. She didn't think that it was 15 apiece. It was 15. So I said, I listen to what people say. And I listen to what they say and not what they say. Right. If, if you understand what I'm saying. So you got to listen to the intent behind what somebody says and not just take it at face value of what they're saying to you. Right. Because the way you interpret and the way they saying things could be too, that y'all can be on two totally different platforms. Well, to my buddy's point here, Jeffro, who tells me all the time, listen, if I call you, I want to talk to you because a lot can be lost in translation whenever you're texting yeah. or messaging people. And when you're talking about, you know, there was a, there was a piece done by Key and Peele. I don't know if you ever seen that show, yeah. Key and Peele. Okay, these guys are silly, but uh, you know, he's texting him and he says, "All right, I'll be there in a minute." And he goes, "All right, I'll be there in a minute." What is he talking? And he's thinking he's giving him attitude. The other end, the guy's not giving him attitude at all. He's just confirming it, it was silly. And I think that happens a lot, especially nowadays when we have, you know, social media all over the place and, uh, you know, you have a cell phone and people texting, you know, a lot. Oh, there's a lot of miscommunication between people. Right. And, and to your idea of miscommunication and changing the narrative, going back to the Kaepernick thing, uh, I wanted to weigh in and on that situation and, uh, my thoughts and and uh, on this situation is this: whenever he was kneeling for and, and protesting at the time, what people were doing is they were taking his actions and they were changing the narrative, stating that it had something to do with the flag and the disrespect of the flag. Well, for those who don't know, Kaepernick actually asked permission. Mm-hmm. From a teammate who was formerly of the military and said, hey, listen, what do you think would be the best way for me to go ahead and, and show that my, my form of, of protest against, you know, against police brutality? And, and it was his friend that actually suggested him take the knee. And, and furthermore, and, yeah, but and I'm, hold and on, not, not to interrupt right, you. Go ahead. Okay. But at the same point, I mean, we're, we're, we're back there again. Mm-hmm. Okay. He took the information. He took the opinion from one person who was in the military. That doesn't mean everybody in the military feels the same way. But, but no. He, he actually asked. He actually asked some vets that actually were in the military, and they said that would be better off than you doing anything else. Because they said that way you won't seem like you're being unpatriotic. And you won't be seeming like you're just trying to underhand what's going on. That right. way you could still get get your point across with still, you know, with still holding your integrity 
in you know in the midst of everything that was going on and he what he was actually trying to do he was trying to bring a light to something that was going on he's seen something that was happening inside his community and he wanted to draw a light some attention to what was going on and people took that and they said you know he's being unpatriotic oh he's this and that and you know he gets pay all this money he should you know he shouldn't this is my thing I don't care who you are. I don't care if you play basketball, football. I don't care if you kick rocks for a living. You you know, you still educate yourself in a whole lot of things that's going on inside your community. So you should be allowed to be able to say anything that you want as long as you're not doing something that's offending somebody else. And I don't think the way that he did it and he presented it, I don't believe that it was offensive. He was doing it in a nature where where he wasn't um, he did he didn't call for anybody else to do this. This was this was something that he was doing on his own. It just ended up catching fire because you have somebody else saying you know he's being unpatriotic. You know you you don't get you don't get uh get paid all these millions of dollars right. to uh to to kneel. You should just throw a football because that's what you're paid to do. No, I still got a brain. I still got a mind. I still think. I still hurt. So I see something that that's going on inside my community that's hurting my community. Of course, I'm going to speak on it. If I'm not, then, you know what I'm saying, I'm part of the problem. I would say this, though. I mean, to both of your point, you know, he talked to, uh, you know, multiple people in in the military or whatever. Okay, we'll say five. It was like three or four or five people. But understand this you're on a global scale you're on a global stage okay to go out there and do something like that and think that everybody is going to be okay with it is something you should never think in the, in the first place well he wasn't are... thinking everybody was going to be okay with it he was trying to bring attention to the event that's okay why he did that okay and then i have not not a popular opinion i i assume as far as colin kaepernick goes i'm a 49ers fan just like my man well, and, and mind you, though I'm defending Kaepernick in this situation, I'm not a Kaepernick fan. He prevented me from going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> what was that, 2014? I'm a Falcons fan, so uh, yeah, I, I have but no love loss for Mr. Kaepernick. My, my opinion is this, okay? If he, if he felt strongly about it, why did it take him so long to do it? And he didn't do it until after he was benched. It, it, to me, I see that and I see, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe he does feel strongly about this, but why is he waiting until after he's benched to do something like this? Well, there was there was some debate about that that he had just met a woman who was sort of starting to open his eyes to these issues after he was benched, and he was starting to focus a little bit more on his his personal life. But even still, I want to I want to ask a question or, or postulate a question: mm-hmm. the act of kneeling. For, for everybody to say that he was disrespecting the flag, you have to assume that the act of kneeling or the act of kneeling to anything would be a disrespectful act. In my opinion, the act of kneeling, that's what you do when you propose to your wife. That's what you do when you, you know, that's oh, what man. you do whenever you go to pray. Oh, I didn't kneel. <laughs> but I'm just trouble. saying the, the act of kneeling to me doesn't represent an act of, of uh, you know, disrespect in any means uh, if, if anything i would think the act of kneeling is showing even more respect would it not well be? i mean we, we well, can we could well, look at that for many ways we could also say you know there are so many other things he could have done which would have been way worse than kneeling for well, sure 
Well, have you ever actually looked at the original uh, context of the Star Spangled Banner? The actual context. Yes. Be, be, okay. be, before they ripped half of it out. Did you read the, the original context? I don't think so. I don't think And I see, have that. and it's because people haven't real, re, they haven't read the original context of the original. This was mm-hmm. written, this was written by a slave owner. This was actually, the, uh, when he wrote this, he was actually talking about killing and murdering slaves. So, what he was doing was he was bringing light to what was actually going on. A lot of people don't know that when uh, that uh, advocate slave owner that hated colored people wrote the Star Spangled Banner. So, so do you have you no, have this verse? Okay. okay. So I'm I, and, and I got to be honest here, here. I'm not. I'm uneducated right here because okay. I was unaware of this. Please, and I'm sure, right. there, you know, there are many of our... Here's the third verse. It says, No refuge could save the hireling and the slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner is a tr- is trump- triumphant death wave or the land of the free in the home of the brave. So wow. he's saying that that the hireling, the slave, they were in terror. And they said they couldn't, you know what I'm saying, they, they couldn't escape the grave. So you got these, these, you, these usurps that were pulled out. So it changed the whole context of what was going on. And see, you had more, a, a lot of people that were conscious enough to go do their research. And when they did their research, a lot of people found this out. A lot of people already had knew. A lot of people don't even know. Did you know that the... Uh, you know when you hear the little ice cream truck, when it, when it comes up, the the and then the little music that it plays. Mm-hmm. Did you know that was a, a a slave music from a song that was written from um, a, a, a slave owner t- uh, telling a nigger eat the watermelon or something like that. That's that 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 actual song that's playing the little jingle. Yeah, yes, that that's that's what that jingle was from. What? A lot of people don't know that. It's no, a I lot. Didn't know it's that. a lot of things that I thought I meant go get the ice cream. Nah, yeah. 
But that's what that actually means. Well, leave it to me to affiliate anything with food. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to his point, here, here's, another, here's another subject that I was unaware of, but it was brought to my attention by a security guard in, in Louisville. Um, you were talking about the, the, go, the, hest, uh, sorry, the guest host or the guest off of the Oprah show. Mm-hmm. And this was something similar he showed me. He brought to my attention. Um, did you know the drawing of the map whenever we see the map? Mm-hmm. in school and everything else and all of our textbooks we all know it's distorted because it's a it's a round object on a flat surface mm-hmm. right okay but well don't in, tell a flat earther that okay they're not gonna right. agree with you but in, in the idea in the in the framework of social conditioning there's something else that that has been done to the map that people don't realize in the drawings of the map and that is the northern continents are dispor- distorted and disproportionately larger than the continents in the south. And the reason for that is is to show the supremacy northerners compared to the minorities of the natives to South America yeah, or I mean, the natives many, in Mexico. How many white people, how many white skin color people live in South Africa though? That no no, that's not the point. The point is it, it's social conditioning of the idea that they are smaller, right? The the people who live in those continents, those continents aren't as large as they're supposed to be. It is, it's just the framework of, okay, it's interesting because you would think that, oh, well, there's not that many of them. There's, you know, all, it, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's a frame of brainwashing and I wish I could come up with the video. It's out there. I, I don't know if it was on Donahue. Actually, I think it was on Donahue. I actually, you know, I think I don't know what you're talking about, but, I actually watched a video where, you know, a guy, he was arguing, he was actually debating another guy, and this was the, on almost that subject. Um, they, were, they were actually debating about Africa, mm-hmm. and this guy, I don't know, I just don't, I, I didn't get it, but he consciously, he separated Egypt from Africa, because him separating Egypt from Africa the guy was asking him, he said, well, okay, he said, he said, um, all the kings and queens that came from, you know, uh, came from about out of Egypt. He said, what color were they? And the guy said they were white. He said, hold on, man. He <laughs> said, he said, so you tell me, he's like, well, you don't see the stuff that, you know, uh, the 10 commandments and you never seen queen Sheba and, and all the, the, the movies. He said that that's, that's all that is. Those are just basically movies. He yeah. said, but. Are you going to sit here and tell me that this man, he, he consciously separated Egypt from Africa. He said Egypt was not a part of Africa. And this was supposed to be an educated man. He separated Egypt from Africa just so he could say that, that the kings and queens that came out of Africa were Caucasian. So he said, so, so you can systematically separate and say that 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 royalty didn't come from out of Africa. I can say that, you know, that that uh, to him, white superiority all, all always reigned that, you know, that we were the the first kings and queens that that we always own all the riches. And this and that. so that was his mindset. And this is what he was trying to he was trying to get across. He was trying to say this. He was trying to push his ignorance. Yeah. So I said, I, so I said, you know, and that's what that is. That's conditioning. Because now, if you can consciously and you know for a fact, if you look on a map 
and you know for a fact that that Egypt is a part of Africa and you can just say and you can look that's like going outside and I ask you what you know and and we both looking at the same color sky and you're like wow the sky is so blue today I said man it's red what are you talking about dude you you can't see that the sky is blue and I conditioned myself to believe that now the sky is actually red and I will argue that fact with you Jeffers having a fit over here. Right. Now, to that point, no, right the, the interesting, real quick, and I don't have any references on this right now that I'm going from memory, but there's also to the point of conditioning, and there's a belief, or there, there was a, a study, or I'm not sure where I remember getting this, but what it was saying to the point was that the color blue actually didn't even exist prior to the 600s or 700s or something along those lines because people actually reference the color blue and recognize that within the same spectrum of the color green. So the thought, or the, if you want to use it as a thought, thought experiment, the question is, was the, was the color blue always around or did it not come into existence until your eyes were brought to the realization that blue was separate from green? So whenever you say conditionally, if you believe the sky is red and you believe the sky is blue, it's all about what you consciously believe. And that's why, in my opinion, and all these subject matters, going back to our previous podcast to this podcast, it's so important to think about things psychologically because your perception means everything. And if your perception is basically dictated to you... yeah. And, and you can't think of it for yourself and you're not illuminated to other ideas or, or anything like that, you, you become very controllable. And that's a, a lot, in my mind, what I think the elites try to do. They want, they want people to be malleable. They want people to be able to mold them in their vision, right? right. And, and they don't want people to think for themselves. And, and I think everything from advertisement to schooling and the schooling system, it, it, all, it all perpetrates like... The conversation we had, what, a couple weeks ago, I asked you where we got the idea for the schooling system. Right. And where it came out of was the Industrial Revolution. It came from Germany. Mm -hmm. Germany had a uh, systematic uh, ideology about teaching students certain subjects at a certain time frame. It's indoctrination. Right. It's indoctrination. And, and to go to that point, what do you do whenever you start class what do you hear oh you do the pledge of allegiance right well that but i'm saying you hear a bell well, right oh, okay yeah i remember yeah. this conversation okay. now. and then yeah. you know when you end your period or you end your class or you end your your school day what do you hear well i'm 38 years old and a male so i still haven't got mine <laughs> <laughs> but so in attributing that and conforming that to the idea of the industrial revolution and creating a workforce for your plants. What do you hear in a plant to start the day? You hear a bell or a whistle. What do you hear when you're done? What do you want to hear before you go to lunch? After you go to lunch, this is all a form of conditioning. And unless we are brought aware of what's being perpetrated to us and dictated to us, we will constantly conform because we're not questioning our our masters for We're all a, a bunch time. of robots man hey you know, you know what man um real quick uh my, my my pastor he had put something up and i had shared it because i said this right here i said it, it really touched me 
and I said it's it's so it's so true. And this is basically on the lines of what we're talking about right now. He had wrote, he said, the insecure defend themselves against wisdom because in their faulty thinking they perceive wisdom as an attack. Hmm. Very well said. I like that. If if people are willing to open their minds to see differently than what they're just what's put in front of them well then there we go there's the start um but in all honesty we are just over two hours so i'm gonna cut this uh week you know between the three of us we could go on and on and on i'm sure antoine i want to thank you for coming on the show thank you very much thank you for having me um Love to have you back again sometime. Whenever you get time, I know time mm-hmm. is of the essence. You know, we all have, you know, things in our lives that keep us moving and things we have to do. Jeffro, you're part of the group now, so yeah. I'm not thanks really, for having me, Mario. Yeah, yeah. See, he. Well, I didn't thank you yet, so just want thank you, Jeffro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I'm gonna wrap it up here. Um, I think this was a very good episode. Uh, A lot of information out there, a lot for people to think about. If nothing else, just think about, you know, uh, the things that we were talking about here. So um, until then, 